five people have been arrested and charged with breaking into the headquarters of the Democratic National Committee in the middle of the night. The Democratic National Committee is located in the Watergate office building. The burglars forced a stairwell door, then taped its latch open. The door, now part of police evidence, was noticed by one of the guards employed by the Watergate complex. At first, the police found nothing. Then they spied five men crouching behind some desks. But to those of us who were there, Ted suggested something else. That all of those years of search and destroy, of defoliation, of secret bombings of Laos, of pacification had not meant a thing. The president then returned a letter to the vice president where he accepted the resignation. In that return letter, he called the resignation a difficult decision. President Nixon learned of the resignation at 6 o'clock last night when Agnew and the chief executive met in the Oval Office for 40 minutes. Anger and bewilderment are growing as more and more Americans cope with gasoline lines and empty pumps. Therefore, I shall resign the presidency effective at noon tomorrow. Tonight I want to have an unpleasant talk with you about a problem that's unprecedented in our history. With the exception of preventing war, this is the greatest challenge that our country will face during our lifetime. The energy crisis has not yet overwhelmed us. But it will, if we do not act quickly. Hey everyone, I hope you enjoyed our first podcast last week. This week our focus is on the 1970s. We know the 1960s were a very turbulent decade, but many historians also frequently point to the great amount of malaise, or general feeling of unease, that was constant during the 1970s. Numerous events during the decade, including the energy crisis, the lingering war in Vietnam, compounded by the release of the Pentagon Papers, which described in detail U.S. involvement there, high unemployment and high inflation that became known as the Great Stagflation, and political scandals involving the president and vice president, which resulted in the resignation of President Nixon and Vice President Spiro Agnew. These events helped set the backdrop to our discussion this week as we look at how the disaster at the Three Mile Island nuclear power plant perfectly demonstrates the unease Americans felt during the 1970s. Our document today comes from a report by the President's Commission on the Accident at Three Mile Island, 1979. The report itself was researched and put together by a special panel of experts assigned by President Jimmy Carter and was finalized several months after the accident. To quote from the document, In the minutes, hours, and days that followed a series of events, compounded by equipment failures, inappropriate procedures, and human errors and ignorance, escalated into the worst crisis yet experienced by the nation's nuclear power industry. Good evening. The news tonight is not encouraging. To sum it up in a word, it is still confusing from Harrisburg. Three Mile Island is a nuclear power plant located in southern Pennsylvania, only about 100 miles from Washington, D.C. and Philadelphia. It's even closer to the state capital of Harrisburg, which is only 10 miles away. The plant itself is located on a long sandbar in the middle of the Susquehanna River. At 4 a.m. on March 28, 1979, plant operators noticed that the Unit 2 core began to overheat. The problem stemmed from a broken water valve that failed to close, thus draining all water from the core area. The readings they were getting in the control room on the Unit 2 reactor were perplexing. The flood of information seemed rather contradictory. After spending some time troubleshooting the problem, the engineers decided that in order to correct it, they would need to shut down the emergency water pumps. A series of alarms rang out only minutes later in the plant control room. According to one engineer, the light board lit up like a Christmas tree. Engineers scrambled to determine what was going on, but because of the sheer number of alarms, they had to pick the biggest problems first and then try and methodically work their way down. After much deliberation, engineers decided to shut the reactor down, but this left the reactor still cooking from the residual heat, unbeknownst to the engineers. Not 
until 8 p.m. that evening did the engineers determine that they needed to turn back on the backup cooling system. Once started, the reactor began to cool and stabilize. At this point, plant workers assumed the danger had passed and all was back to normal. Unfortunately, the local community and the rest of the nation were about to find out that was not the case. The danger was just beginning. While this process played out at the plant, a tragic comedy of errors began to unfold in the surrounding communities. When the media was alerted that fire engines were being directed to the plant and workers were being directed out, the public soon became aware. In an effort to address the situation, the parent company of the plant, MetEd, sent an engineer with no prior experience working with the press, Jack Herbine, to address the media's questions. Here we see our first glimpses into how this event displays the general feelings of unease that permeated throughout the 1970s. Herbine towed the company line and tried to downplay the situation. His responses only frustrated local journalists. He fumbled through the media's questions and ultimately did more damage. By the next morning, the reactor was searing with heat and radioactive water had leaked from the reactor into various parts of the plant. When Lieutenant Governor William Scranton finally got in touch with Met-Ed, they assured him that the problem had been contained and the public was in no immediate danger. Scranton then announced to the public that the situation was well under control and there was no danger to the public. Just moments after he finished his announcement, Scranton was informed that radiation had in fact leaked off plant property and into the surrounding areas. Over the next couple days, the local and state governments would hear conflicting reports from the plant and the Nuclear Regulatory Commission, or NRC. They also received somewhat scant communication from the White House early on. At the time, Jimmy Carter was serving as President of the United States. Many know he was a former peanut farmer from Georgia, but he was also a trained nuclear engineer. If any public official understood the gravity and complexity of the situation, it was him. Why then was there not immediate constant communication with him regarding what could easily have become a national emergency? The problem fell on a communication logistics nightmare. As stated before, the Three Mile Island uh, facility was located in the middle of the Susquehanna River. The river, however, was the border for two phone utility companies. Both companies ended up servicing the plant, and this caused quite a bit of confusion with the phone lines. The lines were also tied up as MetEd and the plant designers were constantly trying to reach the plant control room. Effective communication from the plant to the office of Pennsylvania Governor Dick Thornburg, therefore was quite difficult at times, which in return prevented him from effectively communicating with the president. Over the next several days, the local and state leaders waffled between telling the public that everything was safe and under control, to rumors of evacuation, back to there being no danger to the immediate area around the plant, and finally, to the governor issuing a limited evacuation of all pregnant women and children preschool aged under. This back and forth were very quickly on the public and the local media who at various times switched between journalists to concerned citizens of the local community. When the limited evacuation order went out, around 100,000 people in the area panicked and fled the area. This was the precise scenario Governor Thornburg sought to avoid. When the public was informed that some radiation had in fact leaked into the surrounding areas and that a limited evacuation order was issued, the report states, for the people living in such communities as Royalton, Goldsboro, Middletown, Hummelstown, Hershey, and Harrisburg, the rumors, conflicting official statements, a lack of knowledge about radiation releases, the continuing possibility of mass evacuation, and the fear that a hydrogen bubble trapped inside a nuclear reactor might explode were real and immediate. While many fled the area, others chose to stay. Family members would possibly end up saying their final goodbyes to friends and other family members who chose to not evacuate the area. 
The threat of the plant exploding as a result of building hydrogen gases in the Unit 2 reactor, as just mentioned in the report, also meant that anyone who stayed may very well could have been destroyed. Was this the end of their hometowns? Would they ever see their family and friends again? No one, not even the experts, could say for certain. Another quote from the report perfectly summarizes the fear and uncertainty that surrounded the situation. Never before have people been asked to live with such ambiguity. The TMI accident, TMI stands for Three Mile Island, an accident we cannot see or taste or smell, is an accident that is invisible. I think the fact that it is invisible creates a sense of uncertainty and fright on the people that may well go beyond the reality of the accident itself. Now that final sentence that I read really drives home the point made by historians when arguing that this was a period of malaise. This event, the misunderstanding of the public and the lack of control by the experts in charge left citizens feeling helpless. Once again, such as was the case in the events mentioned earlier in this episode, Americans were left feeling as though things in the world around them were simply not in their control and were spiraling out of control. The anxieties surrounding the incident at Three Mile Island did eventually subside, but only after President Carter himself visited the site a few days after the partial meltdown began. After consulting with his top aides at the Nuclear Regulatory Commission, President Carter made the decision to not only visit the affected surrounding areas, but he toured the inside of the plant himself. Remember, at this point, it was possible the plant was going to explode because of the hydrogen gas that was stuck inside of the reactor core. In the end, the decision by the president subsided the public's fears surrounding the accident. The experts from the plant and the NRC discovered that their calculations predicting a catastrophic explosion from a hydrogen bubble in the damaged reactor turned out to be inaccurate. They were using the wrong formula the whole time. Workers were able to slowly assess the damage and clean up the mess. The cleanup was not finished until 1990, and while the disaster itself was nothing like the more well-known Chernobyl disaster that would take place several years later in the USSR, the accident did severely mar the nuclear energy sector. After the disaster, no new nuclear power plants were constructed in the U.S. until the Obama administration. It also led to major changes in the industry. All modern nuclear power plants around the world use entirely different cooling methods and are much safer. I spoke with a longtime friend of mine who is completing his PhD in nuclear engineering. He informed me that with today's reactors, even if they were to simulate the exact same problem that occurred at Three Mile Island, they should be able to walk away from the plant for several days and nothing would happen. Too many safeguards and redundancies have become standardized, and those would allow the plant to fix itself. Yet, with all these major changes to the industry, very few people in the U.S. outside of the younger generation view nuclear power as a safe form of reliable energy. Too many who were alive during the Three Mile Island accident were left with lingering doubts. Doubts that were heaped on to a mounting pile of other anxieties stemming from the unsettling 1970s. Thanks for listening, guys.